We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Aguero! Hello, coaches. Welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. We've got Damon Shaw joining us today. Damon's worked at the professional level in futsal in England, Malta, Spain, Malaysia. He's also worked as an analyst for the Solomon Islands in the recent Futsal World Cup. Amazing journey in the game, brilliant insight into some specific futsal topics. Really enjoyed this chat. Please let me know what you think at Modern Soccer Coach on Twitter, at Modern Soccer Coach on Instagram. Also, the new book, Modern Soccer Coach Detail, is now available. Ships to the US, Europe, Australia. And if you enjoy the podcast, and you want to read more and support the work, please order the book now, modernsoccercoach.com slash shop. Here is Damon. Enjoy. Damon, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Really, really excited to have you on finally. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Thanks for having me. And yeah, it's an honor to be to be on the on this podcast with you. I feel we've we've known each other a long time, just with like your I was thinking about this the other day. You're one of the the old guard and the social media from back in the day, and it kind of ties in with the first question. Like I, I always remember, like you were when I thought of futsal, I thought of your work and your messaging, and you were you were promoting it long before it's kind of gone mainstream now. So take us back to that those early days. Like what was it that that got you into futsal? Like what got you hooked? I remember, and I was there the other day, actually. I was up in Middlesbrough, and I remember the first time I got hold of a couple of futsal balls and took them into the sports hall. We didn't have goals, but I just remember having a kickabout with, with my friend, Ollie. And um, just, it was different, man. It was different to football. I was like, these balls are, like, they're so good to play with. It's it's easier for a start. Um, people talk about it being harder, which makes you a better player, but... It's not the balls that make it harder. The balls are actually easy, easy to control, easy to play with. You can get it under control quicker and give you more time then to more time compared to a football to to decide what to do next. And yeah, just I think coupled with the the balls, the game I loved when I first when I first saw it. Um, but then coupled with the opportunities that I saw in futsal, like I found the competition. And I worked it out. If we won 13 games in a row, we'd be playing in the European Cup. It wasn't that simple. You've obviously got other teams trying to do the same thing. But the pathway to the European Cup at that time was not easy because it's not easy, but it was reachable. It was attainable. So I saw the opportunity and I thought, well, if I start a club up here now and build something and put the foundations down, who knows, within... A few years, we could be we could be competing at the top, and um, so yeah, the op- the opportunity and the game and and everything just hooked me straight away when I when I when I got involved at, up at Seaside University. We've had uh, Simon Clifford on the on the podcast, and I, I read that he was an influence early. Like, was it? Did you go to any of us? Did you work alongside him, or what was his role in the 
No, so funny story actually with me and Simon. Um, I, I was quite critical. I, I, don't, I don't know if social media was about then, um, but maybe it was on a forum. And I was quite critical of FDS and futsal. And there's, there was always a bit of a, um, I don't know, there was a bit of a, a football of Salau came, what's what Simon brought over and used it to coach kids and, and, and create a brilliant programme. I didn't see that as the same as futsal and um, there was always this little bit of conflict between what they both were. One was a training tool, one was a sport, one was the original, one was just just for the money taken over by FIFA and the rules changed. And so I, I can't remember the exact sort of argument. It wasn't with, with Simon personally. It was, I think I wrote a story or an article or something um and one of his staff got in touch with me and said look this this isn't true and anyway so we had that bit of a bit of a, a rough start to our relationship but then later on we met we spoke and um we became good friends after that and and yeah like it is yeah it's been, it's been a big influence on me personally and as a coach I don't know because I've not really worked with him in in that sense but and um, certainly personally and talking about ambition and life goals and things like that he's always been been an influence on on my career and um you know when when we speak he's always got really really sort of deep deep things to say and um i, I could do with speaking to him again actually in, in the near future because I, I perhaps need a bit of a bit of a motivation so so yeah simon good friend now and um yeah really big influence on on my career certainly yeah, I was talking to someone about this quite recently about like what I've I was one of my favorite interviews and I remember the Fall of Salo growing up and I, like, I was a big Brazilian uh, fan so I wanted to get him on but one of the things that jumped out to me and it's one of the things that have jumped about other coaches that have impacted me on the podcast is that we talk a lot about being open minded but there's some people that are almost close like we're open-minded to certain things but are so focused on what they believe and passionate about it i almost think that as coaches today there's too many that are open-minded because they float between ideas yeah but simon knew what he stands or knows what he stands for what he wants and to me that's almost refreshing today yeah and, and he's right like the the methods and the tools he brought over from brazil and what it, I think the big difference was the smaller balls. So with football, football allow the balls are smaller and heavier. And even in Spain, they don't use the balls that are so small. And they, the people in Spain say, well, in Brazil, they're better. They're better at shooting, better at dribbling because of those using the size one, size two balls. Whereas in Spain, they only use size three and size four, even at the youngest ages. So they're quite certainly in awe of what the Brazilians do. And that's exactly what Simon brought over to England and you know, reduce the size of the ball, the weight of the ball. And yeah, there's there's absolutely no you can't doubt what, what his training methods um achieved and and yeah, certainly futsal does give a little bit of that even now, even though it's balls are slightly different, but you know, the the smaller space and smaller ball it's always important, isn't it? Mm. You, you know, it's there's no doubt that there's been a massive growth in the game around the world, but I've seen it in England just with uh, on social media. I've also experienced it here in the US. It's more conversations. Uh, the one thing I want to ask you was like, in over the last 
five years, you see like the Ronaldinho's, Ronaldo's, Janinho's, they're saying about how it impacted them and helped them growing up. When do you think that we're going to get an English player or a British player that's going to say the same thing? Do you think we're at that stage yet? We've had a few. And I think there was a guy called Will Hughes who said he he played a bit of futsal, like he played futsal growing up and it's helped him. But now I don't know his story, so I can't. I can't say for sure what whether this is true or not, but I don't think he's played futsal to the extent of what Spanish players and Brazilian players have played futsal. All I can imagine from what from my experience in the English game is he played a few winters or he played once a week. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's helped him, but I don't think it's helped him to the extent that it's shaped Brazilian and um, Spanish and Portuguese, Portuguese players. And we've got another story with Max Kilman at the moment in the in the Premier League and yeah he did both futsal but he only he only started futsal at 16 so he said he said it himself that it's that it's helped him and I've I've no doubt about that but I don't think it's helped him to the extent that it's helped develop players like Iniesta, Messi you know those sorts of players um so when will we have a player that I think you can compare to the likes of the Brazilian Spanish I don't know because even now, even now all over England, there's no kids that are playing two or three times a week doing futsal and playing a competition, a match at the weekends. I just don't think it exists. It doesn't exist in England, so I don't know if we'll ever have the same the same futsal influences places like Brazil and Spain. And I've, England's different. We we shouldn't try and be Spain or Brazil. We should do things our way, but. Um, you know, futsal will, it definitely will help, even if the kids are doing it once a week, it's definitely going to be beneficial for them. So, so yeah, I'm, I think Max is probably the the one at the moment that's saying, you know, he's come through the England, through the, through the futsal setup, he's an England international. So if he actually gets an England cap for for England, for Gareth Southgate's team, then he'll be in a, in a club of very few players that have played, played for both as well. So, you know, it's, He's different. He's done futsal. He's done football all through his life. Um, but yeah, it's definitely influenced him. So maybe Max is probably the one at the moment that that we can use that we can say. Is it, is is it almost going to be if someone starts off, say Max starts off playing futsal, falls in love with futsal, wants to play futsal? Is there is there a problem in England or a challenge in England with futsal? Is that the moment that he starts excelling in that, he's going to get pulled out of that and going into because people are going to say, right, we'll play for our team and play for our club on a Sunday and a Saturday. Is that an issue? Well, it happened. He was an England international um, playing in the FA Futsal National League, playing for England, and then he got signed by Wolves and he couldn't then do both. So, Oh, wow. I mean, he didn't get... Oh, no, there is a, there is a story, and I, again, I don't know how true it is, but he got, he got noticed at an England futsal camp, I think, um, you know, by a Wolves, by Wolves scout or coach, and then they obviously carried on scouting when he was at Maidenhead. Mm. So yeah, he got he loved futsal, and it was I don't think he was ever going to choose futsal or football because you know of his potential. And obviously now he's at Wolves and uh, Premier League established player. So I don't think he would ever, even though he loved futsal, I don't think he was ever going to stay in it. And so yeah, he got he got drawn away by by football, but it happens at all levels as well. Even when I was at Middlesbrough, we had players that. You know, they might earn two hundred pounds a month or something, or 
or hundred pounds a game playing Sunday league, and they love futsal, but they just couldn't commit to it. They couldn't, they couldn't give give me their all because, well, they had money coming in from football, even down at the tenth, eleventh tier of of the pyramid. Let's say that it goes the other way. Then let's say that the player starts futsal at, yeah, starts at sixteen or eighteen after they've kind of built in and ingrained their habits of the game and technique and all that stuff. What do you ever have to relearn? Is there anything in futsal that if I came to it at 22, 23, what, what would be the biggest challenge moving the other way? Yeah, it is tough. And you take it, happens a lot, and we need it to happen because we don't have natural born futsal players that come through futsal academies. So most most teams, we need to give them a crash course and try and get them into the technique of playing futsal as quick as possible. You know, to, you want to work on tactics. You want to work on, on, um, on the principles of the game. But you know, they're coming into a training session straight, like from being footballers. And what, what do you focus on? It's it's tough because you can't spend too much time trying to get them all the techniques because they're years behind already. So, yeah, the biggest, the biggest challenges for the players, I think, is initially trying to use the sole of the foot and you know that's that's the big one that's the big big difference you'll see a football player will come in and they'll, they'll use the side of the foot you need to try and get them off that habit quite quickly um but then the tactical side of it you know you've you've got players that are used to being being forwards for example and when the ball goes past them they'll just they'll hang up they'll hang out front they won't they won't drop back but foot is totally different if you let a player go past you you're, you're already down four four v three so you know you that sort of the team the team concepts of having all players all players defending at the same time all players attacking together those sort of concepts are quite difficult to um to teach certainly twenty two twenty three year olds that that have never played it before well isn't that amazing um because we had Michael Scabala on as well and he was talking about the the challenges in transition yeah you you're you're down a player for four or five seconds and that could be the difference between a goal but where you, the perception of futsal is that it's a technical game which would lead you to think that oh, i'm not going to develop work rate uh sprint recovery sprints and but it's probably a 1v1 defensively way more challenging or way more importance in 1v1 than it is in 11v11 yeah yeah totally like i think as a nation and not just england it was it was similar for me in Malta as well. We had players that struggled to get the concept of defending one against one. Um, you know, they'd, they'd chase the ball, they'd the ball would get past, they'd, they'd go and double up and then leave their player free. And doing that a split second, you're down, you're down, you're down a player. So trying to get that across the players is, yeah, it's really quite tough. And I just don't think we do enough. In terms of one v one defending, and I've never been a football coach, so I don't know what's been taught in in academies or in grassroots clubs about one on one defending. But from what I've seen in futsal players, I don't think it's something oh, we focus on. Damon, sorry to interrupt you, but people are talking about like what's next for football. I would say there's a there's a massive need that if teams want to progress because the game is so fluid tactically now that one v one defending. 
like for me when I think of one v one defending and traditional coaching, it's it's a uh, I play you the ball ten yards away and I've got a mini goal and you've got a mini goal and I try and beat you, but I'm probably an average attacker, so I'm not really challenging you and there's not really space. But in the context of the game and especially in foot, like I see more more online content now that I'm shaking my head going and the defending. And that's what I'm thinking about. Maybe maybe that's the thing. Like maybe more more um, concepts from futsal would actually help us expose players to those type of decisions out of possession. Yeah, I think it would Def- definitely, definitely. I think certainly the well, al- always, almost always, the first session I do when I start a new team or a new club is a one-on-one defending. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's obviously working on attacking as well, but uh, my focus is on. Trying to get them to defend, um, you know, defend using the body, using their arms, getting down low, you know, the, the basic stuff. Nothing, nothing magical, but you know, trying to enforce that and trying to encourage that they they need to be, they need to look after their their opponent. And you know, if he if he does beat them with or without the ball, then how to react and how to sort of deal with that. Yeah, it's, it's vital. It's it's like I said, it's it's usually the first thing I I coach a new team with. We'll talk about you know the the differences in the cultures and the, and the place you've been, but again, even just to skip some of that there, and we'll go back to it. But to talk about the Spanish and the Barcelona, I mean, what's their one v one defending like? Like what separates them in that regard? So, um, the coaching courses I did, and all, you know, the general consensus is. Up until about 13, 14 years old, the kids should defend man-to-man. The team should defend man-to-man. There's no no zonal. That doesn't come in until, until they get a bit older, so 13, 14. Um, and, yeah, the kids are used to that then. So then when they do transition into going zonal or, or mixed defence or individual defence with changes, then they've got the... They've got the concepts. They've got the technique to defend 1v1 because they still need to do it. Even if you're zonal, you still need to know how to close your man down and you know, defend that player in that moment. So, yeah, it's... And I've seen this in basketball as well. I've, I follow quite a lot of basketball accounts on social media and there's a few key accounts that set, they're really against zonal defending at youth at youth level for the since we, we need to we need to have the kids knowing how to defend one v one before transitioning to zonal. Fascinating, fascinating. Like the more you think about it, the more it makes so much sense, doesn't it? Because so many, even unopposed, like we've got this thing against unopposed. Some people have this thing against unopposed training, but yet defensive unopposed, like back four shifting, one step and three dropping. Happens all the time, but it's, mm-hmm. it's uh, my my thing over here is we've got this saying over here, and, and it it does my head and pressure cover balance, and and I think two of those words are almost like cover and balance are defending in low blocks, and and one v one defending again. Bielsa got destroyed for his man to man marking, but at the same time, there's no hiding place from that. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder at a youth level if a youth coach took those again. An eleven v eleven coach took those concepts on at a younger age and said all right we're going to do this here i wonder as much as it was probably challenging to coach how much it would set the players up for for some form of success individually down the road 
Yeah, I've always thought if I did go over to football and start coaching an 11 aside adult team, I'd want to go man to man. Would you? It's what I know, and yeah, I think I think it'd be a bit different. I think it would be it'd be hard for the other team. Certainly, I wouldn't be playing Premier League level. I'd be coaching lower lower leagues or Sunday league or something. And I think I think it'd be quite a good tactic against against players that maybe don't know how to play, or certainly won't know how to play how how Pep Guardiola's teams play. You know, would they be able to deal with a man to man, full on man to man system? I, I don't know. So yeah, I've always thought. I've always, I've always found that interesting. Like, what would I do in, in football? And um, I might get totally annihilated by it. I don't know. But it'd be interesting to see one day. Hello, coaches. We'll take a quick break here. If you're a fan of the podcast, please check out the new book, Modern Soccer Coach Detail, where we take an in-depth look at some of the topics that we have covered throughout the podcast, how they all work together in an elite environment. Psychology, science, tactics, training, culture, youth development, social media, and then leadership as well. How do they all work together? The podcast is at almost 2 million listens in the past couple of years. We've been fortunate to have some of the leading minds in the game on the podcast, on webinars for interviews. So what better way to look back, reflect and review, put it all together in the book. Uh, The majority of work we do in Modern Soccer Coach is absolutely free for coaches around the world. So this is an opportunity for you to support Modern Soccer Coach if you like to and also keep the content coming. We ship all over the world, US, Europe, Australia, UK. You can get your copy very, very quickly. ModernSoccerCoach.com slash shop. Thank you for your support. I hope you enjoy the book. Timeouts uh, was a concept that I didn't really know existed in futsal. I mean, what, what should, does, how does that help you or does it frustrate you because it slows the game down or does it slow the game down? It's, it's good to have. You don't have to use it all the time. It's, it's, a, it's a skill knowing when to use it as well. Um, and, you know, what, what, what I like really about a timeout is if you, maybe if you, if the game's close, and there's a you a goal behind or a goal ahead, you know, you can save that time out for a corner in the last minute. Call your boys in, set something up, and you know maybe get a chance on goal or a or um or a goal. You know, it's and when the, when those moments happen as a coach, it's 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 the best feeling. You know, you you call them in, set up a set piece. Score a goal, it makes you look good. It's not it's not the work you've done in that minute in the timeout, it's work you've done over weeks and weeks. The things I use a timeout for mostly is if we've if we've had a bad start, conceded a couple of goals, it's always good to calm the players down. Um it's never a good one to use, but you know, you concede a couple of goals. I've I've made a mistake in the past of not using then a timeout and then you concede again. So it's a good time to you know just just steady the ship a bit if if things aren't going well. Yeah, changing changing the tactics in the first five minutes of a game, you might be you might see something that the other team's doing that you've not had a chance to scout or you've or they've done something different. So you need to change the instructions to the players. It could be simply asking the players where the space is now or what they're doing different. What can we do different? Um, or, or like I said, for the set pieces, I think that's quite a good time to use it. Um, 
or simply just for giving them a rest. Sometimes you know you've had an intense, intense half of the half, and you you want to keep your players, your your better players or your performing players on. So give them a timeout, give them that minute rest, and um, yeah, some sometimes as well. And I find it fascinating watching the timeouts of the professional coaches in you know, in Spain. When when you're watching a match, they they get the cameras in and the audio in on all the timeouts. So it's it's really interesting to watch. And thankfully, I know Spanish, so I can I can hear what they're saying. Um, and it's really interesting to know what they're saying. And they they do they they a lot of the time they they do really specific movements. Not they're not showing new movements to the players. They're reminding the players of things. Right, we've done this in training, so this concept's going to work. Start doing this more. Do this more. Um, and yeah, so it it is just I won't say giving them sort of fixed instructions, like you have to do this mm-hmm. unless unless it's kind of in the moment where you're going fly goalkeeper with an extra player, then then it would be used to set up some almost set plays in open play. Um, but yeah, timeouts. I, I don't think they slow the game down. I think they're they're great to have. Don't always use them. Um, sometimes it can be detrimental if, if the other teams, you know. If, if the other teams use their timeout and we're on top, then yeah, it's not a good time to use it because that could give the other team the the opportunity to sort of steady their ship. So, so yeah, it's it's a, it's a skill and a good you know a strategy of when when to use them and how to use them. So yeah, I think a great great addition to the sport. I don't know if it'd be good in football. I don't know. Maybe I don't. I don't see why not. Moving on to your your journey, which. There's there's some really really interesting pieces that I wanted to ask you about. So, I, I read that you're working at Darlington. You were offered two weeks to coach in Libya. The club wouldn't give you permission to go, but you went anyway. And the club went out of business very shortly afterwards. And I thought that was yeah type of like if ever football was summed up in one situation, that's kind of how the football world is. Um, but. That belief that it took to say, all right, well, I'm going to leave a professional football club and I'm going to do this anyway. Um, did you always have that like self-belief and that drive or was that something that you've worked on? Um, I think when I started out in futsal, I, I saw this opportunity to get to the top and that's where I want to get to. There's obviously been moments, like even even now, moments where I've thought maybe, maybe I need to do something different. Maybe it's not what I want to do really but um so yeah if, normally if there's an opportunity that comes up in futsal then that then that comes over everything else so you know I, I believe in following your passion and you know when it comes down to decisions I always say follow your heart and it was an easy decision in the end like I, I had a full-time job at a football club it wasn't coaching it was um I was community liaison officer, so I was, you know, trying to engage the fans and go the go the fan base and go attendances. That was my job at the club, and I enjoyed it. It was a really great experience working in in, in Darlington FC, and you know, I've got I've got some good memories there. It was a club in trouble, and you know, it had a series of owners, and it wasn't it wasn't a club that it wasn't stable. It was it was struggling. So, I mean, I didn't think I didn't expect it to go bust. It, you know, you know, we we didn't see that coming. I, or I didn't see it coming anyway. So I got this offer to go to Libya. It wasn't coaching either. It was um, working on an international tournament as um, 
as PR. So social media was just coming out there and it was, they wanted to promote the tournament. So yeah, this opportunity to go and see international futsal and, you know, mingle with the top coaches in the world. And it, it was just too good to turn down in, a, in an exotic country, Libya, which unfortunately since then has been devastated by war. Um, it, it was it was traveling, it was futsal, and I couldn't say no, you know. So I spoke to my bosses at the club. I wasn't going to miss an awful lot. I think I was going to miss one match that I'd got cover for, and you know. And in the end, they said, um, "Yeah, so you, you're going to have to take unauthorized leave." I was like, "Okay, well, I'm going. I'll do that, and I'll deal with it when I get back." And I thought, "What? What? What? What's the worst can happen? They can give me a warning or whatever." Um, so yeah, I went, I had an amazing two weeks in Libya, getting to know, you know some top futsal people and see some international futsal and and yeah, I, I came back and within a week they made me, made, me, made me redundant. The financial troubles the club was having um, meant they, they got rid of me. Obviously, I think because I went to Libya, they thought, right, let's get rid of him, which is fair enough. I've gone against their wishes. Um... But yeah, I don't regret that at all. It was it was a nice job to have in Darlington. I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. But I, imagine if I'd have turned down going to Libya, and then a few months later the club goes bust. I'm out of a job. I haven't had that experience in Libya. Like I'd have, it'd have been a massive regret for me. So yeah, I followed my heart. I followed what felt right, and and staying involved in futsal was. I think it was always and it always will be the, the number one. I think that the, I think that belief or, the, or that attitude is. I I, do, I see a lot of it the other way this these days. Like I see a lot of coaches and I've been involved in staffing with either in consultation or directly involved about trying to get coaches into positions and try and do that. And there's some unbelievable opportunities, five times more stable and financially lucrative than that that people have gone. Well, do I have to get up an hour early, or do I have to? And I almost feel like today, where I've, I've I had this with um with a coach a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, where I think our coaches more risk averse today because the how clean and clinical coach education is that we want everything in our pathway to be this here. Do you see that? Yeah, and I, I speak to a lot of people like that want to know how I'm doing what I'm doing and it's not easy like I mean I'm in a fortunate position or unfortunate depending on how you how you see it but I don't have a wife and kids I don't have a mortgage um you know I, I can up and leave and go and work in a different country without you know without too much too much hassle you know so it's a, it's a life choice I've made. Um, like I said, following my heart, following my passion is is coming first. I think life's there to be lived. And yeah, okay, at some point I'd love to I'd love to settle down and have kids and, and what have you. But and and then after that, I don't know. I don't know how that would work with doing what I want to do. It's it's a bridge I have to cross when I get to it. But yeah, I find I find it's. In England, a lot of people get involved in futsal and they find it quite difficult and they realise it's not going to make them a lot of money. 
and you know maybe they revert back to back to their job and and they can't really see it through and i've seen a lot of people come and go because of that because it's not easy coaching isn't easy um there's there's a lot of a lot of obstacles a lot of difficulties in in coaching especially coaching abroad and going abroad away from friends and family so um so yeah maybe you're right maybe it is maybe people don't want to take that risk anymore and um yeah i don't know but everyone's different everyone's got a different different story but certainly for me i'll 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 try and follow my passion which is which is futsal and coaching and trying to be one of the best coaches in the world in, in futsal so when you were starting to to go on those and obviously go on your trips and go on your journeys and go to different countries without living in a country like england has a great football culture but it doesn't have a great futsal culture so where were you getting there who was mentoring you or guiding you or were you getting that spain was always a point of reference for me um as it is for everyone in in, in the futsal world i think and you know next next weekend we've got the spanish cup in the south of spain and a lot of the futsal world will will always go to spain for the spanish cup it's it's a huge event for certainly the whole of spain i'll go down there there's coaching conferences there's um loads of networking loads of international people going to watch the games obviously you've got the top eight teams in spain fighting for cups so um spain's always been a reference point for me and i was lucky enough in 2007 to play against barcelona b um with when i took middlesbrough over to portugal and i met a coach there who was the barcelona b coach just asked him if it would be possible to go over and watch some training and he said yeah no problem so the next the next year i went over saw some training with him that's when I met, um, or I managed to get into Barcelona first team training um, as, a, as a guest. One of the players invited me in and managed to watch some sessions. And that's where I met Mark Carmona, who to this day has been uh, you know, my, my biggest mentor, my biggest influence on my career. Um, you know, he, was, he was the boss coach. He's, I think he won 17 titles in his eight or nine years at Barca and you know, he he was always so welcoming and always so open with me. And you know, his he, I brought him over to England a couple of times for some conferences over here to share his share his knowledge. And you know, it's important to have someone to bounce ideas off, someone to to learn from. You know, he's even helped me with corners. I, I sent him a video of a team. I said, "Oh, Mark, what what could we have? You got any corners that would work against this team's defence?" And yeah, he sent me a few and. And just little things like that is he's always been so helpful with me. And um, actually, I, I, I had an issue in Malta with a player. Um, it disrespected me at the end of one match, and then I had to make a decision: would I, should I then leave him out of the squad for the next match? He was, he was one of my best players. Do I leave him out, or do I put him in? And I spoke. This is when I spoke to Mark, and I said, Mark, what, what, what would you do? What, what's the, what, what options do I have? And he's like, well. On one hand, if you play him and you win, then then fine, you've won, but do you lose a bit of respect in the dressing room? You drop him and you lose, then you risk losing your job because you've made a decision that's not helped the team. The best situation would be you drop him and you win, and then you've you've won the respect to the dressing room and you've won the match and your decisions have been right, you know. So he gave me these these options and in the end, I dropped him. We lost. Um, I look back on that and think, 
I mean, I I left with sort of my my values intact. Yeah, we lost the game, but at least I've not allowed a player to disrespect the coach because I don't think that's that's on. Looking back, maybe I should have just put him on the bench because in futsal you've got a squad of twelve. So I, but I left him out of the squad totally. Should I have just put him on the bench and then maybe we could have used him or not played him or I, I don't know. Mm. But um, those situations, yeah. those situations are so because I've been in those situations twenty times in my life and. I'd say 19 of them, just off the top of my head, have probably gone wrong where I've done what you've done and said, I really need to win this match and do this. So it looks like great coaching, but it's not going to work out the way. And that's reality, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it's it's tough because we, we depend on results. Um, you know, and wh- what do you do? Do you do you lose face? Do you, do you handle it a different way? Do you drop your values I don't know so yeah it, it was a tough one but Mark was Mark was there to sort of help me through it and um, and yeah Spain's been Spain's been my reference point and you know I've got so many friends in in Barcelona and in Spain as a whole that I could use as mentors and I, I do use as mentors um, on, a, on a regular basis so I'm going to Spain actually next so I'll, I'll be going on Wednesday for the Spanish Cup and then spend some time with some different teams and meeting some old friends and you know, trying to get back into the futsal futsal groove. How was the, how did the move to Barca come up to live there? How did that come across? So I, I told you about in 2008, I was watching the Barcelona training. Um, and I, I met a few of the players and one player in particular, Fernandao, he, he was learning English. So we had a bit of a conversation I must have mentioned I was keen to come over and, and work in Spain. And later on, it was a few years later, actually, it was like 2013, he wrote to me out of the blue saying, hey, Damon, I've got an opportunity for you. Do you want to come over and coach in my club? I want to give, I want to offer English coaching to the kids. You know, it's a different, something something different we can offer to, to grow the club. Um, you know, so he retired. He then, oh, he was close to retiring. So he, he took over a little club and he got me over. Um, so yeah, it was it just just through networking and just through being, you know, wanting wanting to learn and wanting to to grow the game and and develop futsal in my country and you know just showing that willingness to be to be humble and not thinking I know everything and wanting wanting to develop myself. Yeah, he's like, oh, come come over and come over to Spain. We'll give you a house, do some coaching in the academy. Um, be assistant with the first team. It was in like the third division at the time, I think, or the fourth division maybe. And I was like, yeah, like the opportunity to go and live in Spain and surround myself with thousands of futsal people, it was just too good to turn down. And um, I lived there then for three years, worked with various clubs, uh, learned so much. And it's always been in my mind to go back at some point. Interesting. I mean, did you have a grab a, a grab the language before you came over, or was it something just picked up as you went along? Um, I didn't know it very well, but I had a good reason to try and learn because I'd met a Spanish girl. So, you know, there's it's to learn a language you need a motivation, and you know, there's no better motivation than that to learn a language. Yeah, I think I'd have learned it anyway, being in Spain, but it sped things up having someone to you know to speak to every day and really want to learn for so 
I did some le- not not some lessons, but I did some podcasts. I listened to some Spanish podcasts. I listened. I read some books. Um, I, I practiced every day. But then when I got to Spain, and people started talking at me because mm. you know, they were saying things, and I was like thinking, I thought I knew Spanish by then. I was like, no chance. Yeah. But then within a few months, you know, it, it just started getting getting more natural to me, and um, and yeah, that knowing Spanish now is one of like it's so important for me because I'm going to a coaching conference next week at the cup. I won't be able to do that if I didn't know Spanish. And you know, you, there's so many learning opportunities you miss out on by not knowing. Was there anything football ways that had the same experience where you where you were thinking one thing and you got to Barcelona and you're like, oh, this is a different level or this is a different direction or what was the biggest area of impact? So in in Spain, the sports it's in the culture. It's even if you're 45 and you're playing in a veterans team, you go training twice a week and you play in a league on a weekend. Whereas now, if, if in England it's like it's a five-a-side match on a Monday, can you play? Oh, not this week. I can't play. It's once a week. There's not that seriousness about sport, and even down to like six, seven years old, they have training twice a week and a match on a weekend. It's it's just ingrained in the culture that sport and leagues and competitions and a commitment to it is part of the life. And I, I love it there for that. It's You never have to worry that you're not going to have enough players for training because once you've got your team together and they've committed for the season, they're at every session. Okay, you get times when players have to miss it because of an injury or illness or sometimes schoolwork. But, you know, I was coaching a team of, under under fourteens, and it was in the, it was in a professional club, and I think there was one or two sessions in the year where we didn't have enough players, and the rest, we, and we only had twelve players, we didn't have a group of twenty where we, you know, at least ten come. No, we had twelve players, and I think I think there was only three or four times when we had to go to the B team and ask their players to train with us, just to make it up to ten, and. You know, the commitment there in Spain is another thing. And I think that that and the coach education, I think, and not just in futsal, in, in all sports, that's why Spain are world leaders in, you know, they've been world champions in football, futsal, basketball, hockey, I think, but any tennis, but that's a bit different. I think it's not a team sport. So, but yeah, the commitment to sport in Spain, I think is why they're so good. Um, I remember doing a, a talk in, in York maybe five years ago and my, my opening slide was my opening question was why is Spain so good at football and all the coaches there were futsal coaches and they're like oh because of futsal went to the next slide next question why is Spain so good at futsal everyone's like oh well we don't know next question why is Spain so good at basketball oh well yeah we don't know and for me, the underlying thing, the thing that underpinned everything for Spain's success was the league structure, the, um, the competition structure, the commitment to training, plus the coach education were all, were all there. I don't, think, I don't think Spain are good at football because of futsal. I think it helps a bit, but Spain aren't world champions at football because they're good at futsal. Because then why are they good at futsal? There's nothing, it's not, they're not good at futsal because they're world champions at 3v3 football. So where do you draw the line? But 
that was quite an interesting thing I learned in Spain and and so when you say their coach education is it is it their attitude towards that or the quality of it or what is it that stands out so the big the big difference to me between an English coaching course and a Spanish coaching course I think England coaching's like well well regarded throughout the world so I've, I've nothing against it but this is just a, no, a difference I noticed um in Spain they were teaching me to they were they were teaching me the content to then you know, to qualify through the course whereas in England they were testing what I knew it was there was a bit of teaching in the English courses but I felt like in Spain it was more in depth they actually gave you the knowledge they they were there to teach you not to test you um and you know Spanish coaches are well well regarded throughout the world so you know we, we can't argue I mean English coaches are as well um but I mean that said in football you look at the coaches that I've gone abroad like David Moyes Gary Neville myself even you know they've, they've been laughed at because of the because of the football knowledge I think you know it's I'm not I'm not too sure about David Moyes but I know Gary Neville did get get marked no I think I think it was David Moyes definitely definitely got yeah oh. so that, yeah he got criticised for his coaching methods and stuff. And is that a reflection of the English coaching coaching education? I, d I don't know. Um, it, it seems to be making good strides in the futsal. We've got UEFA-B now and, and whatever, but in, in futsal. So, but yeah, it was a big difference. In in Spain, they taught you. It was it was like a degree. You know, the the, the, the UEFA-B was like first year of a degree. Um, so UEFA-A was like year two and... I want to go back and do the third year eventually you know if i do go to spain in the future then i'll, I'll want to do that but it seemed more like a, a degree you got a lot of content a lot of lessons a lot more hours of tutor contact than what you get in and what i got in england so i think that was a big difference spain malaysia poland uh what was the other one uh, and then obviously england like that's that's a five different countries where elite futsal players and being around them and competing against them. I mean, what, what in your opinion separates the, the, the world of creme to the creme of futsal? Is it the technique? Is it the decision-making? Is it that athleticism? What is it? There's not one thing, but I've, I've got, there's one player that I've taken to a couple of clubs with me and um, he came to England for, for a little bit. Um, I took him for a season in Malta. I would have taken him to Malaysia, but uh, because of COVID, he, he didn't end up coming. Um, and and he was just something else. He was, he was athletic. He was deci his decision making was unbelievable. Um, you know, he was he was a Uruguay international, and you, and you could tell he was. I'm, I can't put my finger on it. There were, you know, do we have similar players in England? We've got yeah. There's not. There's not a big gap. But there's just something, there's something like all his attributes are just a little bit, and I think it comes from experience, definitely from experience. Like you know, he he played futsal most of his life and played at high level, played with good coaches, played with good players, played internationally. So, um, I wouldn't say it's even the techniques. I think English players are better technically than a lot of Spanish players, and you see that if you know, I've, I've seen an example where an under twelves team from England has gone to Spain and they've wiped the floor with the Spanish teams because technically we're better um, but
but then as they get older and develop at the, you know and they develop they go through the pathway get to about under 18s the spanish players have got more tactical knowledge whereas the english players getting better technically but now at that at that age the tactics are sort of showing through um so yeah i think it's it's hard it's really hard to say what what the difference is between you know what makes an elite player um i think it's the experience and playing hundreds and hundreds of matches growing up you know i think i think that's probably the key in and what separates the the elite players from the the amateur players uh, Solomon Islands, uh, the the roles and analyst there recently. Uh, you mentioned that you did the you did the World Cup with them. How was that experience? No, that was that's the pinnacle of my career. You know, when I started to be involved in a World Cup, to be involved in Champions League. Um, you know, they were my. They were my Obviously, I'd love to be involved in a World Cup with England. That would and as a head coach, whether England or someone else, but that would be my ultimate dream. And you know, I've got forty odd years left, hopefully. So. Could still happen. Um, yeah, I mean, that came about because I know the coach, I know the head coach, and I helped him organise their sort of pre-training, pre-World Cup training camp. Um, and we did it in Poland in the end. They were going to come to Malaysia when I was there because um, it was fairly close for them. And then they were going to go to Lithuania for the World Cup, but the World Cup got postponed. I was then in Poland um, for... The last the last season or the, well this season and the world cup was in october so they were looking for somewhere to do their training camp august september poland with the covid restrictions easing and and th- things it just it just worked out that them coming to poland was sort of the, the best option and yeah i helped them organize their their training camp for the for the month month and a half in poland and um and yeah, once I was there, the the head coach actually he couldn't make it for two weeks, so he said to me, Damon, would you would you do some coaching with them for the first you know two weeks before I get there?" And man, just being asked suddenly to coach a World Cup team for a couple of weeks, like wow, it was it was amazing. And um, you know, doing that and helping them out, then then they, I was doing a bit of a match analysis because we had a couple of friendlies, and you know, I, I like that sort of stuff, so I was doing that just off my own back. And then obviously they valued that, so they're like, do you, want, "Do you want to come to the World Cup with us?" And of course, like without a doubt, like it's as an English coach to go to a World Cup, it's it's a dream come true, you know. So, um, just being in the right place at the right time and knowing the right people and doing the good work, and I know it's I know they say it's it's who you know, not what you know. Is that right? Yeah, it's not what you know; it's who you know. But yeah. you know, you've you've got to back that up with with quality work as well. So. Um, you know, they they saw what I was doing firsthand, and you know they they wanted me to go with them, and you know they they saw me as a valuable part of the team. We always finish up the podcast with like trying to get takeaways and advice for for younger coaches that maybe want similar pathways. But something that you said there, and I want to add it to it, where it is like a lot of people complain on online that they don't get jobs because such and such was mates with such and such, but there's actually there is a an art or a skill to knowing people like for for you i see it clearly because in england those natural avenues weren't there for you for foot futsal so you've had to go out and earn your and i know the 
the Germans place an emphasis on their coach edgy network competence, they call it, how to connect with people who can help you and you can help them. And, you know, like that's been, that seems to be a big, big part of your journey has been as like your personality. Is that natural for you to walk into a room and you're going to this conference next week? Can you, do you walk in and be like, hey, I'm Damon, nice to meet you? Or is it? Yeah. Certainly, like in my early days in Spain, going into these these rooms of the coaches, um, I stood out because I was the English guy on this coach, of course. Like, and they were like, "What's what's going on here?" Like, and it it got me noticed. The fact that I was going there and doing doing those things to further my knowledge, and they respected that. Um, and you know, and a lot of a lot of good coaches reached out to me and you know wanted to help me and you know help me on my journey. So. I'm, what I say, yeah, I'm, I'm confident in that, you know, because I've, I've, I've probably spoke to most of these people online at some point, so I'm always confident of starting up a conversation and, you know, getting to know the top coaches and, you know, seeing if, if, if I can help them, if they can help me and, you know, building that relationship. Um, I'm, I wouldn't say I go into a room and I'm like the centre of attention. Yeah. That's, that's not me either, but. You know, like next week, I'm, you know, I'm going over to to this coaching conference, and there'll be the Portugal coach, the world champion, the Euro world. Well, he's won the last three international tournaments, and you know, we've had a few conversations before. So, of course, I'll be, you know, going going to speak to him, and you know, it's, I've I've never had a problem speaking to people, um, and certainly if there's if I can see an opportunity, then I like to you know try and try and use that use those networks use those contacts to to open up doors but it's i think it's about being humble i'm i'm always open i'm always open to in fact recently i've been thinking about dropping dropping down to being an assistant coach and you know and go, going back and learning more again and you know i think if you, if you if you're humble enough to do that then people are sort of more welcoming and you know if, if you go in and you think you know everything then people don't really want to want to talk to you. They'll, they'll no. But if if you go in as a humble person, pretend you don't know anything, you want to learn. Then most people will welcome you with open arms, like Mark Carmona did at Barcelona for me. And you know, I think that's the way to sort of to get to get the opportunities and um, you know use those networks because it is important to to know people. Otherwise, if you don't know anyone, then how are you going to get an opportunity? Um, the the last one would be like and a, a, almost coming full circle where yeah the game has risen dramatically in in England and the UK and also in the states where we've a lot of listeners in both of those areas but I still think that and you'd probably agree with me I would say that the, the coach that wants to really do what you're doing and and really put a focus on futsal is probably going to have to go and swim upstream for a majority of their early years like what advice do you have for that coach? Yeah, um, it took me twelve years to get a first, to get my first sort of paid job. So twelve years, twelve years to get a a, a full time paid job. Yeah. There, uh, you know, within futsal, I was I was being paid part time coaching in Spain. You know, it was, but you know, I started to do other jobs, um, and I got the opportunity in Libya for a few weeks. That was paid. Um, you know, when I was in Middlesbrough, I was coaching university teams and getting paid for that. But 
my first full-time coaching coaching job and it wasn't just coaching it was club development as well that came after 12 years of volunteering going abroad learning um and yeah you 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 need to i think you need to be willing to start at the bottom and you know help people out go and get some experience coaching go and be an assistant coach for an under 10 team or something in in a country alongside a a coach that can can help you and teach you um and like i said before i'm even now thinking about doing that again in i don't know it depends what other, what other opportunities come up but if nothing else came up i would i would go and be an assistant coach in the club you know with, with a coach that i respect and know and know i could learn from maybe i'd have to pay my own way maybe i'd have to go abroad and you know pay my own rent and um you know fund myself but i think that's something that people need to do if, if they really want to get opportunities down the line they need to go and sacrifice maybe it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be years of your life but it could be a few months go abroad and you know shadow someone get to know people and see some coaching in the places you think you might want to be so i went to spain because i thought i wanted to be in spain and so yeah I, th- I think that's important go find, find where you want to be and i know there's a few lads in brazil at the moment from new zealand i think it is that uh you know they're over in brazil now playing coaching and you know one day they might get an opportunity to go and coach back at those clubs in the future so it is about just i think not being not being scared to just go and go and do it go and make some contacts and not expecting too much not expecting to be paid for it straight away because it's coaching there's not many coaching paid jobs in in the world brilliant like i when I started and I wanted to get you on, I wanted to talk about futsal. And I wanted to, but when I started researching you and, and really digging into your journey, the more I saw that there's a hell of a lot in here for young coaches that are, you know, maybe maybe they're not emphasized enough or maybe they're not values that we've gone away from. But in terms of like this, this single-mindedness, this confidence, the risk-taking, um, there's so much stuff to your journey that's that's really inspirational for young coaches. It's brilliant. Yeah, I think you've got to take a risk, and if if it doesn't work out, come back in a year and maybe and what you're still young, you've still got the chance to do do whatever it is you want to do or whatever it is you need to do. But I think if you really want to be a coach, um, and, and if you're not playing at a professional level, then certainly in your twenties, it's a great time to score abroad and. You know, treat it what an experience just go find a country that you want to go to go and live live there for as long as you can within the visa rules maybe it's three months or whatever go and find you know go and have a great life experience see some coaching do some coaching and whatever happens you're going to be better off for it whether you get a job out of it or not but it's going to be a great experience so i think i think that's something that young coaches should be willing to do Certainly, before you start getting tied down with mortgages, families, and stuff, um, certainly worth trying. And if it doesn't work out, then you've still got the rest of your life ahead of you. Brilliant, brilliant, Damon. I'm excited to see uh, what's up next. And uh, me too. I you all the best. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. It's great, it's great to hear from you, and and uh, love to get you on again in the future. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, 
sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kerneen on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com. 